0: Deep pattern, downfield, touchdown Miami! What a throw, Devontae Parker! Holy smokes, what a drive! What is up, Dolph fans, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? It is a Thursday, the start of week four in the National Football League. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we'll look into the Dolphins-Colts matchup as in-depth as you're going to find on a podcast, written story, or otherwise. Anywhere out there, We're going to look at areas of opportunity, the challenges the Colts present, position by position matchups, the Dolphins will win if, and the Colts will win if, as well as three keys of the game, and so, so much more from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. Come celebrate the life of Don Shula, Saturday at 430 At Hard Rock Stadium, the free event is open to the public and will feature remarks from the Shula family with a panel of discussions from several Dolphins alumni. Attending fans will also receive a special commemorative Don Shula 347 patch, which of course signifies the 347 all-time leading wins by a head coach in the National Football League. Registration is now open at dolphins.com slash Don Shula. And who did Don Shula coach for the majority of his career? Well, the greatest football team and the Indianapolis Colts, or the Baltimore Colts, I suppose, but now Indy. And let's go ahead and start there as we do weekly with the preview and a quick overview of the incoming opponent for the Miami Dolphins. And I've long found the Colts one of the more interesting studies since Frank Reich's arrival there in Indianapolis. And that really coincides with Chris Ballard, who has built one of the best rosters top to bottom In the National Football League over the past three years, but that's where the intrigue really comes into me in the quarterback position. Since Andrew Luck's retirement, they've been stuck in that unenviable position of having a strong roster without their long-term definitive answer at the position, which then forced their hand towards some unconventional paths to feeling that quarterback position, like to go out last year and to get Phillip Rivers. I loved that. That was, I thought their best possible option in that season to put themselves in position to contend for a deep playoff run. And they got to the playoffs and they probably should have won that game. And Rivers played really well in that game. Just couldn't quite capitalize on some of the Bills mistakes and their own opportunities in that contest. Then this year, again, not really in position to make a move into striking distance for one of the top quarterbacks in this quarterback heavy draft class of 2021 so they go the veteran route once more and repair frank reich and carson wentz and that magical 2017 season where he was the mvp of the league for my money before tearing up the knee in that rams game in like week 14 and then we all know what happened with nick Foles and that eagles team from there when the super bowl And we'll swing back into the quarterback position there with Wentz. But first, I think it's important to address their injury situation because this is a very banged-up Colts team right now as the injury report came out late on Wednesday afternoon. And taking a look at Miami's, Will Fuller was not at practice on Wednesday with a shoulder and elbow injury that he sustained last week. He missed practice. Jerome Baker and Michael Dieter both were limited participants in Wednesday's practice, while Xavier Howard, Brandon Jones, and Devontae Parker were on the injury report, but full participants at Wednesday's practice. For the Colts. Three players were limited. They are guard Ma- uh, Mark Glowinski, running back Jonathan Taylor, and quarterback Carson Wentz. But a handful of players, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, did not participate in Wednesday's practice. Jack Doyle, the tight end, tackle Eric Fisher, linebacker Darius Leonard, guard Quentin Nelson, defensive end, Quitty Pay, tackle Braden Smith, safety, Kari Willis, defensive tackle, Antoine Woods, and cornerback Rocky Sin. Now Quentin Nelson isn't just the best left guard in football. He's not even just the best offensive lineman in the league. He's one of the best overall players, pound for pound, regardless of position in the sport. And how often can you say that about a guard? He's just not normal. But he was carted off last week, and Frank Reich says it's not looking good for him to return this week. And he also mentioned that Wentz would be limited at Wednesday's practice after a pair of ankle injuries that he played through a week ago against the Titans. And we'll talk about the performance he had in that game with those two bum ankles. Quitty Pay, very impressive rookie off the edge for them. He missed the Titans game with a hamstring injury. Zach Kiefer reports, he's a, on the Colts' beat, that he and safety Kari Willis and cornerback Rocky Sin are all going to be monitored as the week goes along, and they'll make a decision, of course, on Friday about their game statuses. Cornerback Xavier Rhodes played last week, but they expect him to be out there this week. He was not on that report we just mentioned. We talked about right tackle Braden Smith did not practice Wednesday either, and receiver T.Y. Uh, T.Y. Hilton is still out and will not come off the injured reserve this week for the Colts. So a very banged-up Colts team, but they certainly have a deep roster, are very, very well coached. In fact, one of the most, I think one of the best coaching staffs in the league with Frank Reich and Marcus Brady and Matt Eberflus. So with that, we jump in to the position-by-position breakdowns, and we start here with the Colts quarterback as we do the opposition's quarterback against the Dolphins' safeties. And Carson Wentz has been one of the trickiest evaluations at the position for my personal For for me, (laughs) for me, I didn't like his game coming out. I thought his rookie year was an indicator of that evaluation. He missed way too many layups that year. And that was actually the year that I charted quarterbacks for third and 10.com for the first time. And I linked it back to mechanical issues in the lower half. And then 2017 comes around and he jumps up my grading charts and also kind of fixes that. I'm like, all right, I didn't know what the hell I was talking about with this player because he looks like a bona fide superstar. Then he has a tough bounce back season after the injury in 2018. And then 2019 basically carries a skill set of players that's made up of mostly practice squad players. Like all the guys contributing late in that season were call-ups or free agent signings. Like Greg Ward was a college quarterback turned pro receiver and he was making big catches for that team down the stretch in the playoffs in 2019. And then it completely falls apart in 2020, largely going back to some of the mechanical flaws with the base in terms of how he sets up to throw the football. You'd see his feet widen. That's never a good thing. And I likened it to when in baseball, you're at the plate, you overstride for a pitch and you realize, oh no, that's a changeup, not a fastball. I'm out over my skis. I've now got no power to generate through my hips, through my lower half, and I can't get through the zone with any sort of strength or power. It's awfully tough to do. And chances of, the chances that all your mechanics of the swing are going to be in line are slim and none. Like your back shoulder drops, your hands are slow through the zone, and then you wind up rolling over a weak ground ball to shortstop, or you pop it up to second base, or you just flat out miss, which is probably the best exam- or the best outcome of that particular situation. But in football, a quarterback, when you lose that stride and your base widens, it drops the arm slot, and just like it affects the swing in baseball, it affects the release point, and ultimately, the grand point here, your accuracy. Balls will sail, and that was a big reason why Wentz had so many turnovers last season. Balls got high on him, and it caused for tips or deflections or just flat-out overthrows that went right into the defensive back's arms that are behind those receivers. And you can tell it's something that Wentz has worked on this offseason because through the first couple of weeks, he looked better mechanically, but I think it bears monitoring in this game because on those two wobbly ankles last week it started to show up again as far as what i saw on tape so what is his mobility going to look like i think you can test that and see how he reacts to the pressure that you deploy against him my other knock on Wentz coming out was the decision making amid the chaos so if you can create a number of those situations the averages should play in your favor to get some big plays maybe some takeaways and some sacks and the big splash plays on defense now that said few quarterbacks can make as many plays amid chaos the way Carson Wentz can. And I used to do those grades for thirdand 10com and the whole purpose of the website was to evaluate what happens on 3rd and six plus because that's where every single scout, every single personnel person with quarterback evaluation starts their 3rd and long reel because I think Mitchell Schwartz covered this, the former Chiefs tackle who's now a free agent out there along the offensive line. He had a great tweet talking about how that's where you really get your true evaluation of the quarterback, because all the other situations in the game, and this is football in a nutshell, you can scheme things up, you can play within certain confines to protect that quarterback. But when you get to third and long, that's usually when the quarterback has to find a way to make a play, either in structure with a big time read or a, a big time read and throw, or going outside the structure and creating on his own to make that big play. So he was the top ranked quarterback that 2017 season on my grade chart on third downs, because he was just Houdini time and time again, finding ways out of pressure, throwing the football down the field and really making the defense pay for missing on their initial rush. Now, as for the matchup with the Miami safeties, I mean, it's hard to forecast who's going to be in what role, isn't it? I mean, that's coach is not lying about the multiplicity of this team's plans and the positions or this position rather sort of exemplifies that fact. Like, Good luck guessing what the Dolphins' safety deployment and snap counts and, and their position they play, where they're going to be. Good luck finding that out ahead of time. But just watching the Titans tape from last week, Colts versus Titans, there were some instances of him passing up on potential open targets in the Titans' cover heavy coverage-heavy four-man rush scheme. And they're playing some zone looks where he would come off a read quickly and then just kind of panic from there and turf the ball, or worse, find his way into the pass rush for hits and sacks. So Miami's ability to mix it up with moving around Holland and Rowe and Jones and McCourty all over the formation, that with the potential for scattershot throws and how the Dolphins safeties made big plays when rushing the quarterback last week, Eric Rowe's pressure led to a pick, and Brandon Jones had a pair of sacks. I really like that matchup for Miami. So some Wentz data here before our next position group. The ball comes out of his hands at 2.84 second average. That's the 23rd longest held ball time in the National Football League. That's kind of Wentz's game. It's kind of like Ben Roethlisberger, right? Like in his prime or even now. Hold the ball and try to create because you're tough to bring down. And the plays just do not really die with him at the helm. So you have to bring the party and you have to get him down to the ground. Average depth of target, 6.3 yards. That's the 30th lowest in the National Football League. Or 30th highest? Yeah, 30th. 30th ranked A dot. Jacoby's a 6.6, for instance. Two was his 8.3. So the short game has been their go-to. And looking at Wentz's deep and intermediate splits, 20-plus yard passes. He's 4 for 10 with 116 yards. No touchdowns, no picks. So pretty successful, actually. 40% down the field. That's, That's a good number. Just a limited number of shots. They've been really close to the vest, despite the fact that he holds the football for so long. 10 to 19 yards, the intermediate range, 10 for 17. And that intermediate middle portion of the field between the numbers, like right down the middle of the football field, has been his bread and butter, 8 for 11, 99 yards, and all three of his touchdown passes have come in that area of the field. So that kind of plays into our matchups we talked about with the safeties. Do you play a robber? Do you play more umbrella or cloud coverage? Do you go straight man see if those guys can uncover? That's my personal preference because of the Dolphins' matchups in that secondary versus the Colts receivers and those guys' ability to separate or not separate. I like Miami's defensive backs in that matchup. Now, Carson Wentz's aggressive rate, we talked about this going downfield, is 17%, actually ninth highest in the National Football League. So they just haven't had the opportunities to go down the field with regards to the 10 shots he takes, uh, the 10 shots he has taken 20 plus yards down the field. That also has to do with separation as well. So it's kind of a collective score there. So it's not all correlating from the aggressive and A dot numbers. When he's blitzed, 17 for 30, a buck 77. That's only 5.9 yards per pass with two touchdowns and a pick. When he's pressured, you're going to like this number. 19 for 43, 210 passing yards. That's 4.9 yards per pass, zero touchdowns, zero picks. So get pressure on Carson Wentz, kind of the key there. I mean, most weeks it is, but this week for sure. Now, Brett Hundley serves as the backup quarterback, according to a couple of Colts beat guys I read on Twitter on Wednesday. And that will be the direction they go on Sunday as well, with Jacob Eason as the other option. He was a second-round draft pick last year out of the University of Washington, down dogs go Cougs. Which leads into our next matchup, which is sort of the key before the key. The Indianapolis offensive line versus the Miami Dolphins defensive line. Indy is a bit banged up here. Sam Tevy is out. Quentin Nelson trending that direction as well. Eric Fisher, his second game back off a torn Achilles. He he suffered last February in the Super Bowl, or was it January? No, it was... It was in the conference championship game because they didn't have their, their offensive line for the Super Bowl. But he has surrendered nine pressures in just a little more than one game. And Julian Davenport has 16 pressures in three games. We know about Julian Davenport down here. Mark Glowinski has 13 pressures allowed in three games. Ryan Kelly, seven off the center in three games. He's their best offensive lineman that's healthy right now. And then Chris Reed, three pressures in place of Quentin Nelson last week. We know about Chris Reed, was a big fan of his game uh, when he was down here in Miami. But Carson Wentz has been hit 28 times. That's the most in the National Football League. And Nelson had gone 101 snaps without a pressure allowed. So that's I put LOL in my notes. That's hilarious. What a stud. But it sounds like he'll be down. But I think there's an opportunity here if there is one it's off the outside against a couple of players who were supposed to be swing tackles or backup options for the Colts this year who have been forced into playing time because of injuries and in Julian Davenport and then Eric Fisher, who I thought maybe start the year on PUP, but he's back earlier than he, than I anticipated. So good for him. But again, coming off the Achilles a year ago, he actually had a veteran rest day on Wednesday, which I assume is linked to that Achilles injury from last year, but he played his first full game on Sunday to me. This is offensive line and defensive line play in general, but the change of direction is something to look at. And I thought we saw Jalen Phillips kind of show out in that area last week. His lateral steps and, you know, the stab step and the crossover, the stab step to widen and kind of get your offensive lineman's momentum going in the wrong direction and then use that momentum against them. That's offensive line play in a nutshell. And to me, with a lot of evaluation of Davenport's game was something he struggled with, as well as Eric Fisher's game, just be, just because of the injury and coming back off that. Now, we also talked a little bit about Emmanuel Ogbaugh and his ability the last three games and really his entire tenure here in Miami to get on that upfield shoulder of the right tackle so quickly. And Wentz loves to get out of the trash and escape to his right. So I think Emmanuel can take that away, but also possibly find himself into a big play if Wentz rolls into that direction, kind of like Kyler Murray did in the Cardinals game last year. He gets that ball out for a strip sack, and it goes back the other way for six. Now, I'm sure the Colts will keep plenty of tight ends and use backs in to chip and help on the edge. They've trended towards some more max protect stuff as their line has been banged up so far this season. And don't forget about Gink in that mix either. Like, he's a forgotten man sometimes in this three-man pass rush rotation, even though he shouldn't be. I think it's a good chance to have all hands on deck rush plan here, and I would include the linebackers in that mix as well, More on that in just one second, but first let's go ahead and finish up this defensive line talk here because Wilkins and Sealer and Jenkins holding the point against the run again will be another key in this game. Get those rundown wins. They're going to have their successful runs, of course, too, but get those majority rundown wins like if you can win two of the three rushing downs, you feel good about that. And I also think their pass rush will show up this week big time. All the games they run can hopefully test the communication and protection assignments of an offensive line that's working in new parts and trying to kind of go through their depth and getting backup guys in the lineup both communication and talent standpoint, you can test those two things, even though Ryan Kelly, for my money, is one of the smartest players in the league. So that'll be a nice chess match up front for Miami and Flores and Boyer up against Frank Reich and Marcus Brady and Carson Wentz and Ryan Kelly of that Colts battery there, so to speak. But on to our next matchup, the Colts Colts running backs (laughs) versus the Dolphins linebackers. They love to get the ball to their backs and tight ends in the passing game, in the run game too for the backs, but... Michael Pittman Jr. leads the team and targets with a lot. But number two is tight end Zach Pascal. Number three and number four are tied between a tight end and a running back in Jack Doyle and Naheem Hines. Naheem Hines is a freaking stud, by the way. So I'll imagine they'll want to find favorable matchups for those guys. And this goes back to our first point. I really like the chances to defend those tight ends with our safeties. Now, Hines is so, so, so good and someone you have to keep an eye on. They're probably going to want to get Miami in some base looks, which, you know, 3-4, three, 4-3, four, four, three, your seven players on the front into the game with only four defensive backs, or even two back looks to try to get Hines matched up that way on linebackers. Like, I think this makes Sam Egwivan's role a little more pertinent this week, perhaps, after playing just five snaps a week ago. I think you might see him back doing what he does best and rushing the quarterback in this game from that linebacker position. We also need Bake to do what Bake does and just play a lot of a lot of snaps and draw a lot of tough responsibilities, whether it's playing downhill, in coverage, and, and definitely keep an eye on Naheem Hines. He can burn you. The inter- interesting factor here is how do you attack that Colts 11 personnel package when they run the ball so well out of that package, which usually brings the nickel defense onto the field. Just two linebackers in the game, most instances, sometimes less than that, and you go to work in the running game. Because as we finish up this group, some of the data points here, the Colts run 11 personnel 84% of the time. That's like the, all they run. 66% of the time they pass out of that package, but only a 43% success rate. 34% of the time they run the ball, so you know a little more than one third, and they're successful on the runs out of that package at a 58% clip. So running the ball out of 11 personnel, spoiler, it's going to be one of our keys of the game. 12 personnel, just 9%, not enough of a sample size factor to, to consider as far as success rates. And then 13 personnel, three tight ends in the field, they run that 5% of the time. Again, not enough of a sample size there. So just keep in mind, 11 personnel, it's almost strictly three wide with a back and a tight end. And by far, their most offensive success comes from running the football out of that 11 personnel against typically nickel defenses. So I'm curious to see how you land in Robert's role kind of materializes in this game and how the Colts will split their time between Taylor and Hines because Hines is averaging a a team leading, rather, 2.16 yards per route run, like a really good number. And Taylor only has nine targets on the season. So they'll throw to them both, but Hines will flex out, whereas Taylor runs pretty much strictly routes from the backfield. But the rushing difference is Taylor has 42 carries and Hines has 16. So typically, Hines equals pass, Taylor equals run. So adjust your personnel accordingly. With Taylor, you got to get bodies to the party. He's already forced 10 missed tackles this season, averaging 2.69 yards after initial contact. And he's got tremendous feel and vision. Like if they block it up, he's going to find it. And you got to get someone there because if he gets free, he's tough to tackle. You have to force him to change direction and bubble and let our guys get off those blocks and make plays on this very talented second year back from Wisconsin. Very critical element to this game is that running game with Jonathan Taylor. And with that, we finish up on this side of the football before going over to the Dolphins offense versus the Colts defense. The Indy receivers and tight ends versus Miami cornerbacks. And again, Michael Pittman, go-to go-to target. 25 targets, 17 grabs, 203 yards. Think Devontae Parker for his build/slash athletic profile. He's six foot four, runs good, not a blazer, but he runs good and can really attack leverage with his size and route running nuance and go out and snatch that football. He's also known to make plays after the catch, and he's the focal point. Imagine. I imagine that he'll get matched up plenty with Xavier Howard and even some double teams because he's really the go-to guy in that passing game. But what's interesting about the number of 11 personnel they run is that Jack Doyle, the tight end, played 35 snaps last week. Mo Alley-Cox, one of the best blocking tight ends in football, played 28, and Kylan Granson played 12 snaps in that game. So 75 tight end snaps when they only played 63 in the game, a.k.a. plenty of 11 personnel throughout the course of the game and the occasional 12 and 13 personnel packages to get all those guys all those snaps. But again, I like Miami's matchup there once again with the safeties. Matching and matchup and blitzing wise, if Miami can find a way to vary those looks in a way the Colts cannot see coming, could be a big, big day for the defense. In fact, I think it will be a big day for the defense. Otherwise, it's Michael strachan How about that name for a receiver, for a football player? Michael Strahan, Strahan. He has three targets. Ashton Dolan has two and Paris Campbell has five, although he did miss a game. So Paris Campbell, keep an eye on him too because he's pretty quick and shifty and can make some plays. But it's mostly tight ends and backs in the passing game. I really like Miami's defense this week in this matchup. Let's flip it over to the offensive side of the ball and the Dolphins' quarterback versus the Colts' safeties now. Jacoby was at his best last week creating, and when he started to attack vertically, both those things together I thought were his best attributes in that Raiders loss, which also helped the team create some space in the intermediate. Now, he made a handful of big plays like the scrambles, the keyhole shot to Parker on 4th and 8, and then, of course, the 4th and 20 rip to Mike Gesicki, but you don't want to have to rely on those. And if we get them, we'll take them. But ideally, we're sharper on the structured and layup throws. That's preferable in this game. Like the miss to Miles Gaskin on the swing route, the high ball to Waddle in the end zone. We have to hit those this week, and I think he will this week. And this might be something. It might be nothing. It's probably nothing. But it's worth mentioning. He's played a lot of football down here, and if you know this area, it's hot, it's humid, it's sweaty, it's sticky. And we know how that humidity can affect the grip on a football. At least if you've touched football down here, you would know that. He's a local kid, so he's used to it. We're a team from Indy. Eh, they might have to adjust to how that football kind of gathers moisture throughout the course of the afternoon. As for their safeties, I love, 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 love Julian Blackman, one of my favorite players in the draft a couple years ago. I had a chance to talk to him at the combine. He was fantastic. He plays all over the place. He's a former cornerback transition to safety and he can match up he can fit the run he can play the post he does it all so keep an eye on 32 but he has been playing majority in the post so far this season the post means single high safety guys like the field goal post like you're playing the deep center field portion of the field and that brings us to the Miami Dolphins tight ends and receivers versus the Colts cornerbacks and PFF has the Colts with a seventy-five point three percent completion percentage allowed this year. That's one of the tops in the National Football League. Possibly a chance for the Miami passing game to get healthy. Kenny Moore is in the slot primarily for this team. He's allowed fifteen completions on nineteen targets for a buck seventy-four, two touchdowns and a pick. You go back to the Rams game; they went to Cooper Cup on Moore four times, all four caught. Robert Woods kicked inside three times, caught two. The one was a drop that he didn't catch. And Daryl Henderson caught both of his targets on Moore. All of that for a total of 106. And the the lone incompletion, I should say, was a drop. So we'll see if Miami can get some matchups in there they like. I like Waddle on Kenny Moore in this matchup. He had his best showing last week against Tennessee, And that team is based more in two receiver sets or at least throwing the ball to Julio and A.J. Brown more often. But I think Waddle and the slot could be a real good option when he draws Kenny Moore. Rocky Sin is a physical, physical cornerback, tough as hell. But teams have been able to get him on some Contested catches over the course of his career, like locate and play the football. It's a tough ask for young cornerbacks, and that's where he can be vulnerable at times. And that may, might be where Devontae Parker can win at the catch point and do what he does best in those matchups. But for the most part, Rocky sin has been strong this season. Nice little growth here in his, I believe, third year in the National Football League, as teams just haven't targeted him that frequently. But I think Miami could go after him with Devontae Parker if they find that matchup on the perimeter. But teams have gone after the Colts primarily on the inside, both against the slot corners and safety positions. Kari Willis, the the player who did not practice on Wednesday, is also frequently targeted at the safety position. So I would see if you can stretch the seam with Gasicki and also attempt to see if Waddle can split two high safety formations when that's the look they go with, but also when they go single high and they roll coverage to a certain direction. If they roll away from Waddle, some of those slot fades might be an opportunity for some big plays, and that is their preferred method. Typically, Blackman single high up in the post, and then they roll him to either direction, whichever they feel they need help at in that defensive secondary. So I really like Jalen Waddle and Mike Gesicki in this game. Miami running backs versus Colts linebackers. Darius Leonard is often the best player on the field whenever he straps it up. And one of the craziest things about him is that he never, ever comes. But when he does, he usually gets home. So keep an eye on 53 and pass rushing. PFF has him with eight pass rush reps and pressures on half of those. They just don't blitz very often. Pro Football Reference has them at 21 blitzes on 80 pass attempts. Matt Eberflus has a great feel for calling defense and dialing it up at the right time. So I like the way he feels the game and and approaches it accordingly. So Miami has to be aware of that and combat that with their own calls. But he plays, Leonard does, plays in coverage and against the run and is so often a counteract to the speed of the modern game, both on wide runs in the running game, but also trying to get the defense to declare with some of that pre-snap motion or get them outflanked with that pre-snap movement in motion. He keys so well on guards or tight ends or whatever whatever it is he has to key on, he does it very well. And you might want to have to throw a wrinkle at him just to kind of get him taking that false step to get him off of his spot. It's a tough guy to prepare for. Darius Leonard, big time linebacker there for the Colts. And that's how this defense operates, man, speed and instincts in the second level. Fabio Kareke can flat out fly. He's so quick. Last week, I loved the backs in the passing game. And man, if we hit Miles Gaskin on that swing route, I sure look like a genius for it, but alas. And not as crazy about it this week because I think they're fast enough to handle that and they're good enough in coverage. But I think you go after them with size and physicality. Adapt your personnel to their personnel, right? I like the idea of trying to match up their nickel package on the field and then getting Mike Gesicki matched up on one of those guys. Again, I like this game for Mike. I also think we could see Shaheen and Smythe and maybe even Hunter Long on some quick hitters and down in the red zone. I think they match up well in those areas. Moving on to the Dolphins' offensive line versus the Colts' defensive line, it all starts with DeForest Buckner. What a stud he is. You might want to get two guys on him. He has 10 pressures and four run stops this year, a filthy arsenal of pass rush moves with length and grip strength. Man, he does it all. He's a master of the snatch and arm over move, so it's a challenge for the offensive line because you know that when he puts that weight on you, You have to be careful to not lean back into him because that's what he wants because then he uses those big long vines and the grip strength to help your momentum forward as he uses that kind of snatch arm over move as a slingshot of of sorts to get you into the backfield. Try to say slingshot of sorts, slingshot of schlorts. That's how it sounds. Kamiko Toure is very capable of winning one-on-ones of his own off the other edge. Buckner's more of an inside-outside guy, but Ture is strictly outside. At least it looked that way after his 2019 season. But you go back last year, there's a drop off as he started to see less and less playing time. And now he has just 22 pass rush reps this season and only one pressure so far. But that was a nice pressure on Sunday against Taylor Lewan. He got a hit on Ryan Tannehill in that game. I'm curious to see him go up against Austin Jackson, who I thought improved big time on Sunday from his first game back, which of course coming back from COVID, you kind of build some strength up and you kind of get back to full health and full strength. And Austin talked about that and said, yeah, he felt much stronger in the second game for him this season. But I expect him to continue that trend of getting better. Really keep an eye on 73 this week. I think it's going to be the week he gets it going for the Dolphins offensive line. Then on the inside, one of the most underrated players in all of football is Grover Stewart. There's some Indomitian suit of this guy's game. He's explosive, country strong. My God, is he strong. You're probably not going to move him off the spot. And Derrick Henry had just four yards per rush on Sunday in Tennessee, and he was a big, big part of that. He can stack and shed as a two-gapper. He can work down the line and zone run, outside zone. Like he, He's fluid. He's strong, does a little bit of everything. He can put his foot in the ground and work back across the block while keeping his frame clean. Like, I just don't like anything you want to do against him. Maybe trap Wham, where you bring an unsuspecting tight end across him and whack him across the side of the face. Maybe you run away from him. I don't know. He's very, very tough. But those... Those three guys you really have to look at first, and I wonder if the Colts' propensity to play more coverage and their general lack of depth from the rush so far this year might entice some more empty packages or full-field ideas with four- or five-man route concepts I just like this matchup for Miami. Let's So that's that's it. That's the, the preview. Let's get to the keys in the game. The three keys. Number one, force Carson Wentz off that first read because there was some, a lot of reps in that Titans game where once he came off the first read, he would kind of drop the eyes and, and drop the football and then getting the mechanics all back and of from that point. It's a challenge. So you do that to him. You could generate some splash plays on the defensive side of the football. Number two, limit the Colts running game out of 11 personnel. That's their bread and butter. You cannot let Jonathan Taylor beat you from that package because then they can build off that in the passing game as well. So just keep that under four yards per rush. You'll have a great chance to win this game. And number three, win the offensive one-on-ones on the perimeter. Talking about... Devonte Parker, Jalen Waddle. if Mike Gesicki flexes out, Will Fuller, if he's healthy and ready to go, those are going to be some keys for Miami to get the passing game going and to keep the offense on the field, convert some third downs, and do what they do best and win this football game. So the Dolphins win if they can limit Jonathan Taylor's production from 11 personnel and two for here, if they can protect the quarterback without keeping the whole gamut of maximum pass protection in the lineup, four or five guys into the pattern. The Colts will win if, well, obviously the converse of those two things, but more specifically, if Buckner and Stewart wreck the game and generate long fields and turnovers, that'll be tough to overcome for this Dolphins offense. All right, there you have it. Dolphins and Colts preview in the barn. The hay is in the barn, I think, or it's in the bucket or something like that. Um, before we get out of here, I want to pick my Thursday night pick for the Thursday night game pick. 12-4 <laughs> and four last week. Again, that's two weeks in a row, 12-4. and four. I'm taking the Jaguars again. Fool me once, you know, fool me twice, something like that. But I'm taking the Jags. The, the Bengals are down Jesse Bates and T. Higgins. I think Jesse Bates is one of the best players in the entire National Football League on a short week against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Give me the fighting Myers and fighting Trevor Lawrence's, to get their first win of the season on TNF. They burned me back against the Broncos. Was it the Broncos? Yeah, I think it was. I'm taking the Jaguars regardless. So <clears throat> Jaguars over Bengals. Caroline, Daddy is coming home. You all, please be sure. So subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at WingfieldNFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank podcast. They had Kendall Langford on this week and more Matt Roth stories. I know you guys all love to hear those from the boys in the tank, OJ and Seth. Check out the YouTube channel for our media availabilities. All those are going to be up there for you guys. And of course, MiamiDolphins.com. And until next time,